Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. Your host for the program is Bonnie D. Graham. This program will help set up your business for the future with topics centered on the four pillars of the Kinetic Enterprise. We'll focus on case studies and leading practices designed to move you to the next level. Now, here is Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to the Kinetic Enterprise presented by Deloitte. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here with a really, really important topic as we near the end of 2021. Oh my, a quick programming note. Deloitte has been recognized by SAP as the number one global partner. Follow us on Twitter at Deloitte SAP. That's right. Put it all together. So sustainability is our topic. Hot topic. Everybody's talking about it. Let me give you a little intro and then we will meet our three esteemed panelists. Sustainability continues to dominate conversations from the C-suite to the front lines of customer service. Leaders and stakeholders all want to understand what businesses are doing. And here's the important part, what more they can do to improve the health of the planet. Data-driven insights, which we talk about all the time, will be essential for building that understanding to drive action and measure the impact. What is it doing? Is it successful? What do we need to do more of or less of? Today, Deloitte and SAP Transformation Professionals are with me, and they're going to discuss solutions that can help you leverage your data to operate more sustainably and take meaningful action on climate change. You're going to hear how Deloitte and SAP are joining forces, which we always love to talk about, to deliver sustainability-focused capabilities and learn how you and your company can put intelligent technologies to work across key ESG areas. Our conversation will explore the latest solutions through the lens of emerging trends and business needs. So stick around for the next hour and join us for insights on embedding sustainability at every step of your transformation journey and real-world examples of how leading companies are unlocking business value while making sustainability a priority. I told you it was a hot topic. I am recording the video, so I have the pleasure of seeing my guests on Zoom. And when I ask them to wave, it's because I can see them. Our audience is going to hear this on the Voice America Business Channel, but some of you may get to see the video. So Robert Hillard, welcome. Robert, wave hello for me. He is the managing partner of Deloitte Consulting across Asia Pacific. And I understand he stayed up all night to be able to join us this morning here. I'm in the East Coast of the U.S. Anita Varshney is with us. She is global. Global Vice President of Strategy for SAP S4HANA Sustainability. Welcome, Anita. You and I haven't spoken for a couple of years. It's so nice to see you this time. And we have Marcus Gatz. Marcus, wave hello. A partner with Deloitte in governance, risk, and compliance management. And I'm going to be asking them for their insights on the Kinetic Enterprise. Insights for a data Driven Sustainability Journal. Journey. I'm Bonnie G. Graham. Happy to be here. And let's get started with introductions. Our audience wants to know who you are, what you do, and what's your passion for this topic. Robert Hillard, you're up first. Please talk to us. Bonnie, thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for, uh, for having me on the show. I'm, um, at, as you said, I, I lead uh, Deloitte Consulting across Asia Pacific, but I've spent my career in information. You know, I actually started 30 years ago in a startup that was specialising in applying early data to solving health, welfare and education problems. And we realised back then that we could use data in new ways, which seems obvious now, but, but then no one really was to look at, to measure outcomes um, in those things. And I've been passionate through my career that business combined with data 
can fundamentally change the world for better in all in all the major challenges that we face. And sustainability is about as big as those challenges get. And what we're seeing is that yeah, we know the the macro problem, but specifically for any of us to be able to solve the problem of how much greenhouse gas we're emitting, we need to know where it is. That's an information problem. 10 years ago, I wrote a book uh, called Information Driven Business. And it um, described the general trend of us making business information centric, not process centric, so that we could react to things in, in pretty much in real time. Mm. And that's exactly what we're having to do now to respond to, uh, to, to the climate crisis that we face. We're having to respond in real time with new technologies in a really complex uh, network uh, well, with, with a lot of other businesses. Thank you very much, Robert. Pleasure. I was hoping you were going to mention your book. I know it was in the notes and I thought you were going to save it for later. People who are listening around the world want to be as excited as I know the three of you are to be here to be talking about this. So thank you for a rousing introduction, Mr. Hilar. We appreciate that. Anita Varshney, you're up. Anita, I'm putting you on full screen speaker view. Would you please introduce yourself to our audience and welcome. Thank you so much, Bonnie, and it is wonderful to be speaking to you again, another very important topic close to my heart like the last time. So welcome all to the listeners who are joining us today for this exciting session. As Bonnie briefly mentioned, I am leading the strategy on our sustainability products portfolio, helping our customers on their journey. What I'm passionate about, I think it goes well in my name itself, uh, sustainability, it's it's what I'm deeply passionate about. And uh, it, it goes back to my roots where I truly fundamentally believe that we can use digital transformation to help companies to do better. And I think it's very inspiring when three, four years back, uh, as becoming a mother myself, um, it brought to light that what kind of planet would I leave for my own kids, my two boys. And um, running has always been very close to my heart. And the sooner that when I'm going into the trails, I feel myself responsible for the planet, right? I, I rely on nature to regenerate my own uh, living every day, to feel better, to do better at my, my job. So what is it, my responsibility towards the planet? And I think that passion is what I bring back to what I do every day uh, with our ecosystem. And that's where I think I would like our community to also focus on that. What is your personal impact? whether it's the job that you do or your own impact through your living every day. So yes, doing good for the planet is what I'm passionate about and bringing a woman leader, uh, Bonnie, you know that well about me. I think women are absolutely needed to run with a topic like this because nobody solves a complex challenge as a woman does. So happy and excited to join you today and more on this later. Anita, that was probably one of the most interesting, most personalized, most passionate introductions I've ever had a guest say about what climate change, what solving the problems of the planet, what giving our children and our grandchildren a better planet means to them personally. I almost want everybody to applaud for you, Anita. That was so lovely. When you're running through the planet, when you're running through the trails, you think about what it means. That was it was iconic, Anita. You've almost got me in tears, really. And it takes a lot to do that. And yes, if you want a complex problem solved, we know whom to ask, right? 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, we get that. Mar- Marcus, this is a tough act to follow, but <laughs> I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. Marcus Gantz, you're up. Please tell us who you are and what's your passion for our topic. Go ahead, Marcus. Yeah, thanks, Cody. Also, thanks to the panelists and thanks to the listener. I'm happy to be here. Marcus Gantz, I'm a partner from Deloitte in Germany. I lead our global asset alliances business uh, with the take key ambition to make sure we really embed technology in everything we do as Deloitte in the market base around climate sustainability. Um, so I haven't, I haven't worked in this, in this area all the time. I'm now in this topic for two to three years um, and really working on the interface between yeah, technology and, and, and climate change. Um, and also as Anita, I think also very inspired by my, by my little kids uh, as three of them. And I think in the world we live today, I think we are, it's manageable until 2040, 2050, but we need to think far beyond that. Yeah? And I think we have a really a chance to make an impact now as, as our generation, what happens to our kids and, and, and further on. So I'm, I'm also passionate about this topic to really do, do things which matter to the society, matter, matter to, our, to, our, um, to, to the companies out there. And so really looking forward to this conversation today with you. Thank you very much. Anita, you started something. I'm going to have, you have raised the bar on panelist engagement on important topics. So it's going to be the, the Anita Varshney moment on all my shows going forward. <laughs> I hope I'm not embarrassing you. Now it's the time of the show where I've asked my guest to please select a quote from a fictional character in a movie or TV show or a song lyric that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And in their own words, they're going to explain how it does relate to our topic. We get to hear them think literally outside the box. Robert Hillard has picked a quote from the character Toby, who is Tobias Zachary Ziegler, played by Richard Schiff. Those of you who are fans of the West Wing would have remembered that character already. He was the White House communications director. West Wing, American serial political drama TV series broadcast on NBC. Oh, I've never done that before. From September 1999 to May 2006, created by Aaron Sorkin, set primarily in the West Wing of the White House, where the Oval Office and the president's senior personnel are located during the fictitious Democratic administration of President Josiah Bartlett. Here's the quote Robert has selected. Robert, you're going to take two or three minutes and tell us what it has to do with our topic. The quote, it's not the battles we lose that bother me. It's the ones we don't suit up for. Oh, my. Robert, that's interesting. Go ahead. Tell us what it has to do. (laughs) That is, I, I love the West Wing. I, um, I yeah, I love the story, and and I must admit, one one of the things I've always loved about the West Wing is that, yeah, they it not if they don't always win. In fact, it, yeah, I seem to recall that they seem to win less often uh, than they than they fail. But what I love is that they take they take things on, and in that quote, they're really saying it's yeah, there is absolutely yeah. It is absolutely critical to take on the hardest problems, and yeah, you look at um, you know, the challenges we're facing at the moment. Coming out of COP twenty six, coming out of you know, what can be overwhelmingly depressing you know, perspectives on the scale of the of the climate problem. Um, yeah, what can be uh, political obstacles, technological obstacles, business op- obstacles, financial obstacles, economic obstacles in the midst of a pandemic. It's easier to tackle a problem that I know I can solve. Yeah, why? What? Wouldn't it be better to just take some manageable, solvable problems, have some wins, and feel good? But those aren't the ones that I worry about. I don't worry about whether I lose them. I worry about 
you know, whether or not I'm tackling a big enough or hard enough uh, problem. And I am actually an optimist. And, and, and Toby Ziegler is not an optimist in the show. Um, anyone who's watched the, uh, watched the West Wing, um, where I differ, I differ from him is I, I am an optimist. And I believe that, yeah, if you keep on trying to tackle a problem, even though it can feel overwhelming that we're not succeeding, we get better at it every single time and um, complex problems require a lot of time require us to have a, a go at it an awful lot and and sustainability climate is absolutely in that category we are just going to have to keep on tackling it from every single angle and business mm-hmm. I, i'm incredibly excited that business is really stepping up around the world to take to take this on in its own right Thank you very much. Also impassioned. We appreciate that. I haven't seen the series. So when this winter oh. comes and I know, I know, shame on me. I will have to find it. I, I, I've seen it all the way through three times or seven series. I'm a bit of a tragic. Oh, my. Well, nice to know that. Thank oh, you. By for the way, I should say I've got three kids and um, we watch them each time. Uh, we're expecting a child. <laughs> Or we'll just leave that alone. Thank you very much. Let's go to Anita Varshney. A lot of implications there, Robert. Anita Varshney has sent us a wonderful quote from the USS Enterprise Captain Christopher, known as Chris Pike, played by Bruce Greenwood, speaking to young James T. Kirk, who wasn't the captain yet, played by Chris Pine in the 2009 series, uh, actually the film, sci-fi action film, of course we're talking about Star Trek, directed by J.J. Abrams, etc., etc. It's the 11th film in the Star Trek franchise. I grew up with kids who loved Star Trek, watched it diligently on TV, and I love this quote. So I watched the clip, Anita, I watched the film clip, and it's very, very interesting. So the quote is, Chris Pike is saying to Chris Pine, who's playing James T. Kirk, who doesn't want to do this. He wants to go somewhere else. And he says, your father was captain of a starship for 12 minutes. He saved 800 lives, including your mother's and yours. I dare you to do better. Anita, what a great quote. Tell us how this relates to our topic, please. So um, you, uh, I'm a big fan of science fiction and having three boys in the house, um, I made sure that I've seen all these movies many, many times. But it fascinates me that how science can help us solve those problems and whether this is the science-based targets that I fundamentally believe that can help our, you know, uh, different companies set on the right climate targets. But if you look at any kind of, you know, big complex problems, to me, science always has, you know, the answer, the logical way to approach them. To me, the science fiction itself is a very fascinating topic and always helping to expand and questions the assumptions that we made about ourselves and about our humanity as such. But if you look at the quote more deeply, it's about the short impact, the short time that he had and the impact. And that's why I think it's important for all of us in our lifetime. It's the time which matters, right? How do you spend that time wisely, taking care not only of your family and your loved ones, but your impact to surrounding communities? And in all of us, our jobs and our careers, what is our impact to the company, to the people who surrounds us, the teams that we work with? And I think it's that using that limited time and putting it to the best use, not only to make a company successful, but this humanity itself, right? We are all a big part of the family. And in that time that we have, 
how do we make a positive impact, give a positive helping hand, or to do a positive impact on the environment, or clean that up, small environment, whatever we have. So I think it's about making our time count um, and making the impact felt for, you know, teams to follow two years to come. So for me, I think that really matters and every small dimension, every small positive impact counts. So that is why, Bonnie, I really felt that quote was really powerful, at the same time encouraging for anybody who wants to take that first step into leadership. Thank you very much. We are all part of the family. Yes, indeed, Anita. Thank you for that wonderful quote. I'm going to use that as example when future guests are looking for interesting quotes because nobody's done that one yet. Thank you. Marcus Getz has picked a quote everybody loves and everybody can almost say it by heart together. It's from Forrest Gump, played by Tom Hanks, who's still doing TV shows and still doing movies, and he's all over the place. 1994 American comedy drama. I love when they combine genres. Comedy dash drama. They never say drama drama comedy. That would be a dramedy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Eric Roth, based on a 1986 novel of the same name by Winston Groom. Here's the quote. My mama always said, Life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Marcus, talk to us. How does this relate to our topic? I think it's always that we're living in a, in a time where we get basically every day new information, lots of distractions, a lot of, let's say, um, updates we receive. And I think it's really important that we sort the important from the unimportant. And especially also if we look into the climate change topic, now we just, uh, let's say, had COP26, so lots of new activities, um, regulators committing to new standards, companies doing commitments, state doing commitments. I think it's it's such a, a volatile, fast-moving, let's say, topic where we really get every day new insights, new inputs, and it's really key to make sure we structure those going forward yeah? and really make sure we stay on track in, in what we do and how we make the impact. So I thought this, this quote, could, let's say, fits quite nice into that, yeah? just to make sure we handle the diversity of information, which really comes to us every, every single day. Thank you very much. Thank you, all three of you, for sending such interesting quotes. I appreciate that, and I love the explanations. Now we're going to take a deep dive into our topic mm-hmm. roundtable. Here's how it's going to work. Robert Hillard, Hillard, I'm doing the fancy way. I've already put your statement number one into the chat for you so you can see it. It's long. It's wonderful. I'm going to read just a little bit, the first line or two. I'm going to ask you to unpack it. Take about three minutes. Remember, we're not timing you, but we need to hear everybody's take on this. And then Anita is going to be ready to pounce on it. Anita, agree or disagree with Robert's statement. And Anita, Robert told me it's okay if you want to disagree. Just be nice. And then Marcus, you get to agree or disagree with not only what Robert said, but with what Anita said. Robert, then if we have time, I'll go back to respond to them. At that point, Anita, I will have picked a statement for you and put it in the chat, and we'll just go around the table. Oh, Robert, hold Here's what you told me. Most businesses are asking whether the journey to net zero, when you put that in quotes, net zero, is about a portfolio of small changes combined with major shifts in culture or a few substantial disruptive technologies. It is, of course, both! Exclamation point. Mr. Hillard, take a couple minutes. Tell us what this means. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Did did you know that um, the healthcare life sciences industry produces twice as much carbon as the aviation industry worldwide. That, that number on, on its own shocked me, but, it, it, but it's because 
almost all of our emissions are actually you know, throughout complex supply chains. They're not in any one big ticket uh, technology. So a lot of the time we're tempted to look for the single piece of technology, the Star Trek uh, Manita that uh, you're talking about, where, where we'll have one fusion drive that will, uh, that will solve everything for us and we can keep living our lives the other way. We've looked at things like um, uh, at, at extraction technologies, uh, currently looking at carbon scrubbing. Yeah, can that fix? Can that fix it on its own, uh, on its own and let us just do what we're doing? And the answer really turns out to be a combination. We do need some great technologies uh, that are going to change things. We're going to need to move energy sources, renewables. We're going to need to get new fuels, hydrogen. We're going to need to. Um, uh, we're, we're also going to need to fu you know, fundamentally do uh, transport and, um, and uh, supply chains differently. But it's actually in a myriad of little places in our organisations that we have to make that we have to make substantive changes, and that's a portfolio transformation. And that's actually really, really hard to do quickly which is one of the reasons why it's actually really important to start now if we're going to get anywhere near our goals. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Anita, up to you. Go ahead. Thanks, Bernie. Uh, Robert, I think that's a great starting point for this conversation, especially uh, we just talk about the same topic and a systemic shift, right? That each of the elements that we need to drive together are connected. And unless we are making those changes across the different parts of the supply chain, only then we can progress on the net zero agenda into any dimension, be it waste, climate, or social sustainability. And the important part is because we have been programmed, right, that the way companies have been running all these years is for profitability, for driving maximum efficiency. And that's how our, our value chains are wired to for that sole objective. Now, you change that to say that, hey, let's put planet back into the equation. We forgot this out. Let's put social back into the equation. And that's where you start to really question on how our companies are set up. And to your point, unless these changes are small and systemic and connected in a structured way, I think then people and the team start to connect that why does it make sense and how does it add to the bigger picture? So in my perspective, I absolutely agree with you, Robert, that uh, our customers are, need to go through these small amount of changes. We ourselves need to think about how we are helping you know different companies on this journey and i think together it's this learning uh, journey that we would uh, you know enable the transformations happening towards net zero thank you very much small steps connected i like that anita marcus gets join us agree or disagree with with Robert and or with Anita. Go ahead, Marcus, you're up. No, I also agree to both my um, my, my, my colleagues. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's really a combination of the of the small changes together. I think it's also very important to look far beyond own company borders. We need to really better connect in the ecosystem. It's, we also call it the system-to-system -system approach. We really need to change different systems together to really move it forward. And also, certainly, we need we need diff a lot of different layers from legislation, the companies, the consumer, yeah, to really make sure they really work hand in hand to to come to let's say to solve this complex challenge together. Yeah, and I think we need to start small and make sure we understand it, but then we really need to scale fast. Otherwise, it's going to be probably a little bit too late. Yeah. Thank you very much, and we don't want it to be late a little bit or a lot, right? 
Robert, great starting point for our conversation. Would you please comment back to Anita and or Marcus, anything you want to add, I, Robert? I, I loved Anita just made a really important point about putting the planet back into the profit equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, well, about 15 years ago, we saw the first generation of ethical investments appear, if, yeah, if you recall. And I remember at the time that uh, we really started talking about ethical investing. The equation was, you know, if you, invest, if you are willing to put your money to work in a way that you know is doing good to the planet and to society, you, you have to give up a little bit of the profit. You have to be prepared to take a discount. Well, guess what? It turned out that those, on average, those ethical investments outperformed. Because funnily enough, it turns out that if you are doing things that are taking advantage of where the planet's going, where society is going, you're actually going to be playing to where the ball is going to be, where the economic ball is. Um, and you're a better, you're in a better position in the market. I, I, I find it incredibly exciting. We've, and and if I can be positive out of COP26, one of the things that I think we have a foundation for that we all need to build on is better interactions, more codified interactions between businesses in how we measure and pay for carbon. And we haven't really taken that anywhere near to the full extent to which we we actually can. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Anita, I'm looking at, let's combine your statements number one and two. We're going to focus on the people part leadership. So Anita says, setting ambitious targets on your sustainability goals, looking across your company's planetary and societal impact must be part of your leader's transformation agenda. And she adds, as businesses and organizations explore how to operate more sustainably, bringing the right leadership and culture is key to setting these targets and executing on those ambitions. So let's talk about leaders. Anita, you're up. So leadership absolutely sets the right tone, right? And you can look at the leaders, those who are absolutely, you know, acting on sustainability because there is market pressure. I mean, that's a good reason to act upon. There are those who are doing it just for the marketing sake. Well, that's not a good thing. But there's the third kind of leaders who exactly get what Robert mentioned, that it just make economic sense to be more sustainable. That just makes sense in the longer run. So it's about thinking about your business in the long term. You will bring sustainability to the heart of your business logic. And that's where I think the leaders who would bring in sustainability into the long-term vision would outperform the best. Not only they would be giving back, you know, to what they take away from planet and societies, they would be doing better against the others in their financial performance. And we have enough amount of data showing that. Now, where does it actually translate in reality to me? It's not only on the financial results and what stakeholders see. Once you start to bring an act on sustainability, It's also the culture and the teams that you're inspiring. And that's where you want to deliver your products and your services in a way that they are doing more good for the planet than harm. And when you see the inspired people, whether it's the movements happening outside where you see the activists coming in or the employees themselves who are very passionate towards their own employers, they want to do it in the right way. So no matter what teams do they belong to, whether it's the marketing, whether it's the products, whether it's the finance side, when they start to see that their impact is much beyond this company's walls, right? It is much beyond their day-to-day work. And how can they do this in a positive way? They're empowered and they go beyond. I mean, COVID more than anything has taught us that people are more inspired when they can feel connected to their teams and to the impact that they drive. Now, coming out of COP26, I know many of us would be inspired, but, you know, 
the leaders, how do they translate those high level actions into what their teams can collectively achieve? And that's where I think this culture of doing it in this step by step increments, helping you know each other on this sustainability journey, it really matters. And you would see the leadership itself going through a different curve where you know you started off from let's do a CSR project, let's give you know to XYZ community and be done with the good part. But instead, questioning ourselves that if you are investing in a social responsibility topic, how does it add up to your bigger company's agenda? Is it, you know, helping achieve better climate goals? Is it about managing your waste? Is it about you helping those local communities achieve their objectives? And when you start to go and dig deep down into these questions together with your teams, I think that's where you see innovation really happening, giving back both to the company to a person's own purpose which they bring to work every day, but more importantly, to the surrounding communities. And that's when multiplies, it has a planetary impact. So to me, I think it's this culture, which of course starts from top, but how that translates from the middle management to the people actually on the floor, and how do they collectively come together, you know, to really lift that vision and, you know, in fact, even challenge it every day that this is what we started off with, but how can we do better and how do we do it better every day? That was very inspiring. Thank you very much, Anita. Let's go around the table. Marcus Getz, on this round, you are sitting virtually next to Ms. Varshney. Go ahead. Agree or disagree? I dare you to disagree. <laughs> go, ahead. go ahead, Marcus. No, no, I, I would fully agree. I think leadership is it's key in that. And, and I think as, also, as Anita said, I mean, we have seen a lot of, let's say, CSR activities a couple years ago that it went into marketing and then it went, let's say, into we need to do it because of regulation. But now we see more and more companies it's really at the middle of the leadership. It's part of the of the board program, of the board goal setting, of the board compensation. And we're three now, let's say, truly programs picking up picking up at our uh, at different at different companies to really make sure what leadership decides and also let's say manage top to bottom. We see new ways how leadership engages all different levels of the organization. Yeah, in a new format to really bring up bring in different voices. We see our leadership, let's say, also um, engages more in the, let's say, environment around them, helping setting the right standards. We see cross-industry action. And and I think we, we see some really true leadership in the climate change arena, which I probably have been missing the last couple of years. But I think this is all going now in the in a very good direction from a, from a leadership perspective. Thank you very much. Mr. Halar, join us. Thoughts? Yeah. Um, you've got to admit, it's, it, it's pretty hard when you take on a leadership challenge, which is as long running as something like this. I mean, uh, yeah, Anita, you're right. If you want to, you've got to play for the long for the long game. You've got to play for where the game is going to be, and that will get the greatest advantage for the company. However, uh, it's really hard to keep the confidence and to keep your board's confidence and to keep everybody, the whole team's confidence, you know, to say, yes, just wait 10, 20 years, and this is all going to prove to be right. Um, I think we live in a really interesting time at the moment, though. We have more data than we ever had. So really key to this is uh, long-range goals combined with measures that we can see immediately, tangible, quick demonstration of, of progress. Secondly, uh, one of the most important stakeholder groups we've got is our people. And uh, in this period of the great resignation or the, the, the great talent churn or the, the, this movement of people that we're seeing you know, coming out of the, um, out of the pandemic, 
Um, people are saying they want purpose and they are and they are voting with their feet to work for organisations that are offering them uh, that purpose and they want to work for organisations that have long-range vision. And I think that can really help to provide confidence to leadership and boards uh, to stay on this really hard, long journey. Certainly. Hard, long journey is a good summing up. Anita, this was your topic. Excellent, obviously. Anything you want to say back to your co-panelists, no, Anita? Uh, no, I, I think all excellent points. Um, and to Robert's point, I think I have also felt to keep your teams motivated these wins, no matter how small they are, you need to give them back that this is your leadership. And then leadership doesn't have to be right at the top. To me, each and every person in any part of organization can be a leader when they stand up and they bring the innovation with the old heart and soul, right? So to me, even when that adds up, help solves a customer's challenge, which could be a huge conglomerate. Make sure you take that credit back to that team because those quick wins, those small wins, Robert, in your, you know, as you summarize, in those long net zero plans, these small wins absolutely matter. Thank you very much, Anita. Great conversation starter. Let's go to Marcus Getz. Marcus, I'm looking at statement number three, which is loaded with technology. Let's see if we can dive into this briefly and see what your co-panelists have to say. Here's what Marcus told me before the show. A combination of footprint data assessments and analytics, open door sharing platforms and technology to govern the end-to-end value chain will be the solutions architecture of the future. Marcus, I really mean it when I say please unpack this. Go ahead. I think it's important it's a combination of capabilities um, to, for example, to decarbonize a business. So, and then I just made an example about what different capabilities it needs to really be successful. Yeah, if you if you look uh, on clients and how we would certainly um, help companies to to let them manage their that the race to zero does certainly always start with understanding, understanding your data, understanding where you are at the moment. Yeah. And this is always the first point. And the second point is basically measure what you do. Yeah. And really start to also put in place some uh, decarbonization measures like um, avoid emissions, uh, reduce emissions, remove emissions, or even compensate emissions. Yeah, that's the, that's the second the second step. And the third step is then basically integrate the decisions in your business processes going forward and manage them, let's say, on an ongoing basis. And I think exactly for this for this understand, decarbonize, um, integrate measure, you need to have a different, let's say, a variety of, of tools and solutions. And one, but some is the product footprint management solution uh, and also emission management, where SAP has great offering out. There. Are, um, basically really helping helping companies to managing product footprint at scale. Yeah? But then the second question is, um, how do I bring this information from A to B? Yeah? Because um, um, it's it's if you are if you're a company and you have maybe hundreds of thousands of suppliers, it's not that easy to get access to the data with every single supplier. So I see also. Uh, let's say a little bit notion of a a new culture from a, a data owned to a data shared economy that be much more open and sharing data, which at the moment might see secret and confidential, but to really manage this manage this challenge, really be much more open in the way how we share data. Let's say cross company borders. Yeah, that's the open sharing piece. And the third one is certainly everything around governance. You need to know at every point in time where you are in your journey. You need to have governance over your own organization, governance over your supply chain. And this is also certainly another, let's say, technology play to make sure at any point in time, you know where are you in your journey and you have the right governance and tools in place to manage this holistically. 
And that's a little bit the unpacked statement around footprint, open sharing, and governance. Thank you very much. We've been unpacked. I appreciate that. Let's go around the table. Monsieur Hillard, I'm just in a very fancy mood today. Robert Hillard, you happen to be virtually sitting right next to Marcus on this round. So would you please comment, agree or disagree? Talk to us. Marcus, as you paint that out, I must admit, I've got this vision. If, if I hadn't picked West Wing, I probably would have picked The Matrix and uh, as one of my as one of my favourites. I've, I've got this vision of um, that moment when Neo sees the world painted in numbers and uh, suddenly has the ability to manipulate everything effectively around him. One of the most exciting things in business at the moment is that we are starting to work out how to use all of this data to reconfigure our businesses to be way more efficient. Yeah, you, know, you think about yeah, you know, I, I used the example before of the just how inefficient healthcare and life sciences is. Just think about all the medical tests that we get done multiple times because people can't find, don't have the data, don't don't, don't exchange it. Think of our supply chains, how many yeah, how many times we ship containers around further they really need to go because we haven't really analysed who needs what parts and um, and where. And all of those things emit carbon. They, they are all polluting and inefficient. So we, it's a win-win if we can make our business more, more efficient with this data. And the more eyes on that data, the more that we can do. And those more eyes are all of the different businesses. So instead of it being, you know, my data is my data, you're describing a world where, you know, yeah, I share my data with you and we both work to get the most out of it and we work to each other's benefits uh, for everybody's benefit. I, I think that's a fabulous uh, vision of the future that we should all be working uh, to realise. Thank you very much. Anita, what do you think? So this is a topic uh, where I can speak for two days, so let me give the short version of that, Bonnie. Uh, to me, fundamentally, data's purpose is, of course, important, as we all have been doing for driving and efficient operations. But I think more importantly, how do you use that data to drive your company's operations more sustainably? I think that's the important part. Um, it's a complex topic. It's a topic that many companies are grappling to understand that what is the right way, what are the right boundary conditions, and how do you share this data meaningfully with your suppliers, with your customers? And there are not many standards existing there today. So I think the first thing that we all need to understand is within our own company's operations, looking inward, we should have an absolute grasp on where is our biggest impact, our company's operations, their processes, services. Where is the biggest impact and how do we manage it? How do we reduce it? When you look at companies' external boundaries, that's where it gets a little bit complicated. But that is also across these scope three where you start to look where our biggest impact lies. And here is where I think the partnerships will play an extremely important part on what defines on how do you exchange this data, where do you trust this data to be shared, what is the ultimate impact that you are trying to drive across your supply chain. And that's where I think it's important that A, yes, absolutely, you, we need to share this data, but B, it has to be done in a trusted way so that you have a strong foundation to grow from there. You have a strong foundation to look at those challenges which lie across scope three. And then ultimately, how do you tackle these industry challenges at scale? It is when you work with these partners across the enterprise boundaries. So I think it's an exciting time for companies to be in. It's a complex time, 
but then we are you know excited uh, marcus mentioned one of the areas that we are working on but it's a start of a long journey for all of us thank you very much long journey and G- long journey indeed tongue twister there marcus anything you want to say back to robert and or anita go ahead no, basically, I agree. Um, appreciate different the different views. Um, I think data sharing is certainly a cultural change, but I think even more important is then what do we do with the data and how do we act based on what we really know new. Yeah? Also, I agree with uh, Anita about the regulatory framework. I think there is still a way to go to really make sure this is all regulated in the same way, uh, industry by industry. So I think we are at the starting point still in this open sharing and exchange culture. Thank you very much. Open sharing and exchange culture. I'm picking up all these wonderful buzz phrases we can use if anybody wants to write a blog about this episode. Robert Hillard, we've got time for another topic. I have picked your statement number two. Let's go green. Green technologies, you say, are emerging almost every day as alternatives to their emitting predecessors, including green energy green materials, and green transport. I'm going to stop there and let you give us a lesson in green. Go ahead, Robert. I think we've we've seen green technologies yeah, emerging for a lot yeah for a long time. People have been talking about solar since yeah really yeah since the nineteen seventies and eighties and um, and and seen as an alternative technology. Electric vehicles yeah we've we've been looking for for twenty thirty years to uh, to appear and they take a while. Um, for all of us trying to work out where these technologies fit in our businesses, it's it's important for us to look at the long view. We, we think of technology as exponential uh, because it's a popular phrase for us to use. Uh, yeah, it's going to it's keep on going. No technology is. If, if technology was exponential, the water wheel of 300 years ago would have exponentially grown to power us going to Mars. Um, and, and, and clearly it does. It, it taps out. Every technology is like an S-curve. Very, very slow emergence. Yeah, you, you, you almost dismiss it as irrelevant for a, long, uh, for a long time, then suddenly it takes off and it hits its capacity and it tails off. And our job is to work out where every technology is in its S-curve and where it could be. So for, um, so for EVs, they took so long. Now they're taking off, but how far can they actually go? Do we need hydrogen? In there as a uh, as an alternative to um, uh, to battery driven um, electric vehicles. Why? Where are they in their S curve? Uh, same thing with our um, with with our uh, renewables energy production. Again, how far and where are we in solar? We're seeing all sorts of uh, predictions on um, on efficiency, on lifetime, on total manufacturing um, costs in carbon of of those. Where are they in their S curve? Then as companies. We have to pick all those S curves and say, yeah, take a bet on some that are in the exponential phase in a moment when they're going straight up, and take some bets on some early emerging um, technologies that are just starting to come out of the blocks. And the best leaders are going to be the ones who are doing that in a really informed way and spread the bets out appropriately. And by the way, to the point, to Marcus's point before on data, um, we don't need to do it on our own. We can do it in coalitions of companies. So we can spread our bets out, spread our technologies and not just put all of our eggs in one um, technological basket. Thank you very much. And you mentioned leadership, which is one of Anita's passionate topics. So Anita, why don't you comment back, agree or disagree with Robert, and then we'll see what Marcus has to say. Anita? So very interesting that you mentioned the S-curve, Robert, here. 
um, the emerging technologies, even the green tech, right? Uh, what we have done is uh, like, for example, when we work with startups, we are involving our customers early on because many of the challenges that we are trying to solve, they are so customer slash industry relevant. And that's where I think to your point, right? These emerging technologies have to be assessed in a very fair way by customers who are actually facing those challenges. So I think to your point, you know, there will be many technologies that would come and especially because, you know, we are solving these innovations in pockets around the world. It's a lot of decentralized data which is out there and each community is trying to sort this out for their specific regional problem. So I think we will see a lot of these technologies coming in. I think what we need to do as leaders is that, you know, take just a step back and, you know, assess that, you know, does this technology have a potential? And if yes, what are the immediate customer challenges can be looked at? And I think really, you know, having a timeline behind it where we see the immediate wins versus the long-term wins, having that clarity, I think would really help us. And to your point, we haven't really seen that early on in, in solar or in EVs, right? But we now, I think absolutely, you would see incremental interest coming from global companies on how do we tackle these problems at scale and with those who can scale quickly. So I think a lot of potential for companies to be uh, in this space, but an exciting space to be in, I would say. Thank you very much. Marcus Getz, thoughts, please. <clears throat> yeah, I think many people believe new technology will be the will be the, the solution for climate change. And I'm also, let's say, thinking in that direction. But um, we also need to make sure the technology is really thought through from the, let's say, beginning to the end. If you take the EV example, I'm also a strong believer in that. But um, um, I, I think what we see in some countries, certainly you have EVs, but you don't have, you don't have any um, starting stations, uh, stations. Or you maybe have starting stations, but they don't um, be fitted by green energy, but by, uh, by fossil, fossil energy. So I think we need to make sure if this technology is there, there is really reduced. also, let's say, quite CO2 extensive produced. So we just make sure that um, from the technology innovation on the one hand side, the regulatory landscape is also involving and given the freedom that this technology could grow. And we need to make sure that also the investors are supporting this transformation and that they allocating their funds and their investment into the right technology areas. I think only if these different pieces work together in harmony, then we, we can really move a big step forward. Thank you very much. Let's go back to Robert Hillard. Anything you want to say back to your co-panelists? I, I think one of the great challenges we have is actually envisioning the future with these technologies in uh, in play. Yeah, if I just take if I, if we just take the uh, electric vehicles for example, yeah, the first generation of every technology looks remarkably like its predecessor technology it's replacing. Uh, power stations, yeah, uh, renewable power stations are you know, sitting on the grid very much in the same construct initially as uh, as, as their legacy um, predecessors. Just like um, just like the first cars, you know, looked like horseless carriages. Our first, you know, first um, EVs look like their petrol-driven um, predecessors, and they don't necessarily need to. And I, some of the most interesting. Um, companies out there are experimenting with different form factors of production, different form factors of exchange of energy, different form factors of transport. And I think it's a fair prediction that we're going to see all of those things that we live with every day look radically different in 20 years. Mm -hmm. And 
what's going to be really fun for us is to try and uh, make sure that our businesses, all of our businesses keep up with that and are working in the market of the future, not trying to sell into a market of the, uh, of the past. Thank you very much, market of the future. Anita Varshney, we have a few minutes left. Let's tackle your statement number three you sent me. And you said it's important to understand the underlying systematic approach consisting of people, business, processes, and technologies, which can make your sustainability journey a reality. That's what we want to leave our listeners, our viewers with. Let's talk about getting real. Anita, go ahead. So, uh, yes, I think um, the reason why I always stress on the systemic efforts is because not one of these would solve a problem. Uh, One passionate employee in the organization cannot change the culture the same way you can have the best technologies at hand, but with, without the right governance, without the right motivation, we won't really reach our targets. So I think it's about the interconnectivity of how these different things come together. And in fact, sustainability, because it goes across different departments, all the more reason why people need to come together uh, with the underlying challenges that they are tackling, what technologies they are using, and what customer challenges are they looking at. So I think it is about coming all of these different factors together. If you look even outside the boundaries of an enterprise, you would see even more. I mean, it is, you know, about three to four years back, you would not talk to your competitors about who comes out with the first green shoe because I am a runner. I am always looking out to how is Adidas innovating? How is Nike doing? But I think it's now like even competitors are coming together and saying this is good for all of us. We all are here to make shoes, but how do we make it in a sustainable way? So I think, you know, you would see these kind of partnerships happening within companies where departments start to work together on solving these challenges together as a team, putting targets, KPIs, and putting the systems together to really solve these challenges. But more importantly, I think externally, we would see these systemic efforts coming together, you know, across competitors, across policymakers, across, you know, how the CEOs across different industries are going towards their net zero transition. And I think, Bonnie, the final point is, you know, it all ultimately comes down to us. Um, To me, I'm very inspired by the Patagonia's founder who's, you know, let your people go surfing. And I think if you let your people just do what they do at their best, they would bring their best back at work. And I think the most productive, the most productive and the best ideas, whether you're contributing back to your own team, but to the company's purpose as a whole. If they come in moments when you let your employees do, you know, in the environment where they're most comfortable with, right? And I think um, having that attitude would really then help us, you know, letting go of our mind boundaries, the ego boundaries that we have, and, you know, just collaborate without boundaries. So to me, yes, let your people go surfing. And then, you know, I think we would have much more and a much more safer world for all of us to look forward to. Thank you very much. Let's quickly go around the table. We've got a couple minutes left. Marcus Getz, thoughts, please. Hmm. Uh, I also think it's it's really, we need to find a new way how we work, let's say, together and, and let's say across boundaries, across hierarchies to really make sure everybody, uh, let's say, can contribute. We accept different opinions because I think nobody has the right way the future now at, at, at hand. So I think it's really, as Anita is saying, it's a new collaboration. It's a new philosophy, how we change this together across company borders, uh, along supply chain, with the customers, with the regulators. 
regulators. <clears throat> and I think only in this systematic combined approach, you can make a difference. Thank you very much. Robert, join us. I, I, I love, Anita, the idea um, of trying to get the most out of people um, and, and encourage, their, encourage, encourage their contribution systematically. <laughs> and, and I've always believed that innovation, you know, when, when you get people to innovate and improve an organisation, it's a collision of their individual learning with organisational interest. If people are learning new things and exploring new ideas, but the organisation isn't listening, they're just it, it, they're just screaming into the wind and it's going to, it's going to get lost. If the organisation is interested, but it hasn't created any environment where people are exploring and have space to learn, no new ideas emerge. Bring those two things together and magic can happen. Thank you very much. Magic will happen. We have about three minutes left, and I'm going to give you each an opportunity for a one-sentence prediction. So let's predict if we met again one year from right now. We're talking just before Thanksgiving, U.S. Thanksgiving 2021. So if we met about that just at the tip, at the edge of holiday season in 2022, would we be saying the same things about the drive, the move, the need, the goals, the inspiration to go green, to save the planet, to have companies embrace sustainability from a leadership top-down or from a ground-up perspective? One sentence each, yes or no, same topics, and one sentence, why? Seriously, and the sentence is not a paragraph, it's a sentence. Robert Hillard, you get one sentence, yes or no, would be talking about the same topics and why. Go ahead, you're first. Yes, it's going to take longer than a year, and we'll be uh, still talking about the starting process. Whoa. Anita Varshney, what do you think? Yes, absolutely, but it could be much more accelerated from all of us. Ooh, brief and to the point, and what a punch. Marcus Getz, what do you think? Yes, as well, we talk about it still, and we will change much more about experience made already than just ambitions what we want to do. Thank you very much. I have enjoyed and appreciated and learned from all three of you. Appreciate all the effort you put into your comments for preparing for the show. We have a couple of shout outs. Everybody say thank you, Hasmine Bolianos Flores. Everybody say thank you, Hasmine. One, two, three. Thank you, Hasmine. She's our showrunner. Thank you to Brandy Boyce, who is the new marketing person at Deloitte on this topic, on this, this exercise, on this series. Say hello also to Natalie Butlin and Maria Rechtenwald behind the scenes at Deloitte. I want to say thank you, Robert Hillard at Deloitte. Such a pleasure meeting you. Thank you for staying up all night to join us. You're on the other side of the world. <laughs> Anita Varshney, always a pleasure, a joy speaking with you. Your passion shines through every time you speak. And you go keep running with those green shoes and you run through the, the through the trails. And let's make all of us part of that family of the need for sustainability. Really appreciate your inspiration. Mark Getz at Deloitte, wonderful to speak with you. Wonderful to meet you. Thank you all for sharing. And thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire, who got up extra early to engineer the show for us today. Thank you, Aaron, very much. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another very, very interesting episode. I hope we've inspired you. I hope we've taught you a couple of things. And feared to go ahead and make your company, your team, the world a lot more sustainable. Bonnie DeGram signing off for Deloitte Connect Enterprise. Everybody wave. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Kinetic Enterprise, built to evolve, presented by Deloitte. 
Be sure to join host Bonnie D. Graham next Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Deloitte can help you reimagine everything in order to get the most out of your SAP investments and position your business for tomorrow's demands. Learn more at Deloitte.com SAP. This program is copyright Deloitte Development, LLC. All rights reserved.